is the only time I'm allowed to look at the camera. Whoa, Joe, 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 how are you, sir? This is so good. This is so good. Don't say more. Let's talk. Oh, man, I love this question. You're able to launch things that may not, not be hyper-polished, but you can launch them in the spirit of learning. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you for inviting me. I've been watching your show for, for a while now. And I was like, why is he not picking me up? I'm, I also have time in between meetings. You were on the list for a long time, but I was not sure if you're going to agree, actually. Of course, of course. You, you. majored in the computer science, mm -hmm. uh, business administration, modeling, mm -hmm. virtual environments, um, spaces, all those yeah. things uh, it's, it's really hard right. to comprehend for people <laughs> <laughs> like me. Um, but it looks very cool. I yeah. know that you started your career mm -hmm. uh, back in Ecuador yeah. and it was United Bible Association or yeah, United Bible Society. Sorry. Yeah. And uh, you spent quite a few years with the company mm -hmm. and that's where you discovered the link between creativity and technology and you right. fall in love in it. Can you give more that's little right. bit uh, details about that time? Sure, sure. So um, I started I started uh, studying and working part time as soon as I turned eighteen and I started college um, for a variety of reasons. I I had to like self fund my my university and uh, and I was working part time in um, in the, an animation uh, arm of the United Bible Societies and I was a scanner boy. I was literally just scanning <laughs> hundreds of paper, you know, stacks of paper, because traditional animation, it was being digitized, so you draw on paper, mm. all the frames, you scan them, and then you digitize that, you clean the lines, you close the lines, and so on. So I started as a scanner boy, uh, but I was studying computer science, so I was like building software, uh, and building small scripts to automate parts of my job. So I actually automated a lot of things, like the batch processing of renaming the files, and then later to vectorizing the lines, and then anticipating where the lines may be crossing, and so on. And before I knew, I kept like making myself obsolete in all these manual jobs because I built scripts for it. And I ended up working in that studio for like seven years. Um, but that's when I realized how um, through technology you can create little tools to enhance, I guess, mm -hmm. uh, the creative expression of, of a group of people, right? Um, and then I ended up spending like seven years of my life there uh, producing a bunch of films uh, of uh, biblical characters, you know, characters based on the Bible. Mm -hmm. Uh, for different kind of uh, Christian denominations, including like, I don't know, like Catholic, Protestant and whatnot. And uh, yeah, it was a fun ride. And then that, uh, to your point, that's where I fell in love with the potential, right, of, of, of technology to uh, to put a creative expression out there. You know, design, you could, you could say, in a way. I, did, I never studied design, but that's how I slowly kind of finessed my way through it. And then you start learning yourself, right? Like piece by piece, yeah. like reading, watching. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did, I did, I did a lot of training when it comes to to design, but not like formal academic mm -hmm. uh, preparation. Right? So my background is still computer science. Uh, later on, I actually specialized on um, virtual environments, on modeling and simulations. So I was very interested in crowd behavior. So I spent about a year and a half working on a simulation model to uh, to understand crowd behavior in emergency situations, mm -hmm. and it was used to explore or to maybe define a little bit or validate. Um, 
emergency emergency routes in large places. This was back home when I was in in, in Ecuador. Mm. Um, and to be honest, I've always been fascinated at behavior at scale, and I think that's also a little bit of what shows up uh, in my work now: understanding behavior at scale, uh, looking at data, trying to understand where are patterns forming and what to do about them. Yeah. How did it happen that you, after spending like seven years, right, in that company, and then you mm -hmm. become the adjunct professor? I mean, like, <laughs> you were super young, yeah. and I mean, it's, yeah. it's a pretty cool experience, I guess. No, yeah, for sure. So, um, because I was doing a lot of relatively new things, I guess, in the space, um, different, I guess, uh, animation studios or graphic houses in Ecuador knew about me because I was building software for, for animation to automate parts of the workflow and so on. Um, and I kind of made a, made a name out of it, really, which is kind of strange because it's such a very it's such a niche, narrow kind of a thing. And then somebody invited me to do like a like a guest lecture sort of thing, and then I did it, you know, a couple of times in one month, and then invited me over the following month. And then the dean offered me if I'm interested. Of course, I think I'm, I I did not prepare myself to be mm -hmm. a professor, right? I'm I don't, I'm not educated to educate other people. And I do believe it, it should be done that way. So they actually offer a lot of support. And I ended up uh, teaching at, at, um, at a design school for about two years and a half. So what did you um, teach? I taught um, matte painting, which is a form of digital uh, painting, um, uh, digital illustration, similar to that, and uh, animation, digital animation. Yeah, so it's pretty, pretty fun. Motion graphics. I think everything changes name over time. So now it's called motion graphics. So and now it's called? Motion graphics. Motion graphics. Yeah. And when did you come up with the, no, not come up with the idea, but you kind of realize, okay, I'm in digital right. design from yeah. now on. Um, so I think I saw glimpses of that when I was working on the behavior kind of mm. simulation model. Um, I realized that I am fascinated by that, right? Like mm -hmm. those two extremes of like the possibilities of technology right. and the intricacies of human behavior. Mm -hmm. And really when I look at it from the distance, what's in between those is UX, user experience. Mm -hmm. UX, you know, um, helping people to access something or exchange value through most likely a digital interface, right? Mm -hmm. And that's what kind of finesse me towards digital design and, and user experience, which is what I do now. Mm -hmm. yeah. And after that, it was China, right? Mm. So what was your China story? Oh, How did you fun. come here? Yeah, so I had a, I had a, small, uh, a small studio. It was a mix of design and kind of like tech building. Um, so we were doing a lot of the... Um, back then it was like action script. It was like a, almost like a programming language for motion graphics. We were doing graphic design, me and four or five friends. One of my clients was EF Education. Actually, you interviewed this guy, Rasmus Rasmussen. Yeah, yeah. He he's uh, he's the guy that brought me here. Actually, so we worked together for for like hi Rasmus. Thank you hi, for Rasmus. that. Thank you for bringing <laughs> me to China. Um, no, he's a he's a great guy. I'm super thankful for him. Um, so he 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 brought me over. So I was on a business trip here in 2010 for a few months, and uh, that's actually when I got my my nickname because my name is Mauricio. Mm -hmm. But when I joined, um, there was a there was a nice lady, French lady. Her name is Gigi. And then she said that Mauricio is, is, is hard to pronounce, it's hard to remember. Uh, she says, you need a nickname. You're only going to be here for two months. It's okay. Let's call you Momo. It's like, okay, yeah, that works. <laughs> and then those two months turned into five years because uh, Rasmus offered me a full-time job. And I was like, of course. 
Uh, but then I got stuck with that name, so I kept using it. So it's been 12 years. And now it's uh, on LinkedIn. Everywhere. Now it's on LinkedIn. I, I literally renamed everything. At some point, I had trouble because Facebook is like, hey, you need to upload a passport photo. I was like, no. Right. My passport says Mauricio Lamolo. But anyway, that's a detour from the story. So that's what brought me to China. And I guess what kept me here is just, you know, everything. Everything we're looking at, you know, the, uh, the possibilities that, that you have around, around you, you know, the speed of development. Um, because people is super cool, food is amazing, and yeah, and it's super safe. So you came to China 2010, right? So it's been already more yeah. than 10 years, more than yeah. a decade in China. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And now I have, my, my wife is Chinese, I have a son, Chinese passport here. So, yeah. So no plans to go back? No, 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 definitely not for the time being. Yeah. We'll see, maybe in 10 years or so, we'll be. Look back you, sp at it, but. you spent five years um, with EF. Mm -hmm. What did you do, and what what is your biggest learning? I, I would say, and why did you leave the company? Because right. what's a company is big and uh, yeah, 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 exciting place to be. No, yeah, for sure. So I think uh, I think in retrospective, I learned a lot more about my job at EF. But a few years after, I think while I was at EF, maybe I couldn't comprehend everything that I was learning until I, I had the chance to experience it or apply it elsewhere. Um, so to tell you more, so back then I think EF was going through a very ambitious period of growth and you know we were trying to uh, identify you know better ways to work together between the online business which was online education language education and the offline centers basically brick and mortar schools and my role there was um, to build all the digital products I was a, like a product designer build all the digital products that would help teachers and students and the organization itself to manage all those relationships, right? How do student access content? How do teachers schedule classes? How does the organization manage content tagging and distribute it and so on? So it was a nice kind of complex system. Um, I guess my biggest learning, however, in reflection a few years after was um, the former uh, CEO of the digital organization, Bill Fisher, um, probably one of the greatest leaders that, I, that I've worked for, super visionary, super inspiring, Uh, very tough as a leader sometimes, as you should be, I feel. Um, but he's one of the most inspirational. He had the ability to gather hundreds of people just around a vision and a goal and, mm -hmm. you know, a rhythm to, to get there. And, and it was fascinating. Uh, that's probably my biggest learning and where I've taken glimpses of it and tried to and tried to apply them to my life. That's a very loud car. Yeah. <laughs> more and more loud cars in Shanghai. And lots of motorbikes as well. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. But then you found a different job, and that's why you decided to. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. That's why. That, why did I leave? Um, I feel like you know, after like five years, even though I was uh, working for them uh, for about a year earlier before that. Um, so five, six years, I, I felt that a lot of the things that we were building were in a good place. Uh, they were in, a, in the right maturity state. And I was just very eager to explore different facets of, uh, of the industry here. Um, so I spent a few years here and there. I moved to the agency side, right? Moved from mm -hmm. a big corporate environment to like a smaller agency, dealing with clients on the day-to-day, -day, prototyping, trying things, seeing on the ground how people interacted with our design work. And I feel like that gave me a different understanding of, of this place, a different understanding of my practice, and a different understanding of you know, all these new ways of uh, creating things. Now, next one was uh, idea, right? As the idea, yeah. Big step, and I see idea on the list of um, on the work experience list of many digital design 
uh-huh. creativity-related uh, professionals. Right. So I'm just wondering what role does it play in this industry and why right. people are kind of very excited about this company? Yeah. Uh, no, IDEO was great. IDEO is a, is a great company. So the, um, the, their service is, is based on observation of human behavior. And then based on this observation and research, then um, this consultancy brings new development models, new solutions, new ventures, or new business models, basically. To, to then uh, meet those needs that they have observed. So it's basically a research-driven practice, and it uses what's commonly known as the design thinking. Um, it's a people-centered process, right? Whereas more uh, other consultancies may put, say, a, a brand in the middle, right, and then build around it. Idea puts people in the middle and does qualitative research and really, really understands what is it that truly matters to them and how do we design it. And I guess the, the role that it plays in the industry, when it comes to digitality, it, it has, I think, humanized how people think about data, for example. Um, I think when I was at IDEO, we, we acquired a company called Datascope. Um, and back then, we started offering the idea of combining uh, you know, the irreplaceable human intuition, I guess, with, uh, with data science. And we created this new offer right, of designing for AI, which was attempting once again to humanize how how you capture, how you store, how you interrogate data, and how do you use it to create value. I know it sounds very vague. I know it sounds very fluff. Um, it's a it's a highly strategic kind of type of work, um, but I really enjoyed my time there. Um, and I think if it wasn't because of IDEO, I think my thinking maybe or my approach to to design or to strategy um, wouldn't be the way it is now. You know what I mean? I think how I think now has been heavily influenced by the mm. things that I learned there. So, yeah, very thankful for that time. And you met Anthony there. Oh, Anthony, which <laughs> was also a few episodes ago. Oh, yeah. Okay. Super cool. It's like you're talking to all my friends. <laughs> very cool. Yeah, I met Anthony there. And then you ended up in uh, IKEA. Yeah. This is the new chapter of your life. This yeah. has been just a year. But yeah. I guess it was a... Um, a roller coaster, definitely, right? Because yeah, you opened that was the new awesome. location in uh, Dinan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you were we part renovated of it. the new store. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so right. what's what's your responsibility? What do you do? Um, what's sure. your kind of like daily schedule look like? You go to right. work and you brainstorm new ideas. So right, 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 right. So it's it's a it's a relatively multi-layered, um, I guess, role. So I am the um, uh, head of digital design, right? So basically, I work with uh, two teams. Uh, I work with a design team that is composed of uh, researchers, UX designers, um, and design operations people. And I work with a product team, digital product team, like product owners, uh, product manager, product specialists. And basically what we do is we're building a collection of uh, uh, channels, digital channels, whether these are our own channels like our online web or WeChat or the app or uh, marketplace channels like Timo, for example. And our goal is simple, really, is to try to make IKEA more accessible to people. Um, not only for us, but for every retailer. The problems that we're having is that we cannot grow just by building new stores. And when you're a retailer, you grow either by acquiring new customers or by making existing customers more profitable. Mm-hmm. And those two mm-hmm. things are becoming harder to do for home furnishing, and particularly for us, because we're like a low-cost company. We try to make our product range um, you know, accessible to the many people. So uh, it's, it's, it's a very challenging environment. So we needed to get creative around growth and digital plays an important role in growth. And that's basically what me and my teams 
uh, do. What does the day-to-day look like? So we are very clear in how we work in terms of strategy. So uh, we use um, this tool that is called um, OKRs, right? Objectives and key results. So those are what determine, I guess, our, our strategy in the long term. And everything that we do is aligned and trailed directly towards those objectives that we need to keep uh, continuously pushing towards. To. Um, my day-to-day could look very different, right? Sometimes it's about ideation, as you said, with my teams, or sometimes about validating new ideas, going to the store, uh, talking to customers, or talking to our coworkers and understanding what are different pieces of the journey that we need to address. Sometimes it's just working with the data team on quantifying engagement and finding new models, you know, to either look at transaction data or look at interaction data and try to build a picture of where are new opportunities that we're seeing, right, to meet the needs of our customers. Um, could be very different, but um, it's a very rewarding job. And to be honest, I took it because I've always been a big fan of IKEA. I think through the years, it's probably the only brand that has been consistently next to me as I grow as a mm. professional in, in China. You know, like when I just moved here, I had a very tiny studio apartment. And literally, my first trip was to IKEA. And I bought this, you know, couple of things there. Then, you know, I, like a couple of years down the road, I got promoted. I could afford a larger apartment. I had more space. I could go to Ikea and buy more things. Um, yeah, when I moved in together with my girlfriend, she was an interior designer. So we intentionally bought a lot more things so she could, like, help us, like, spice the place. Uh, when we decided to have a kid, we were thinking about the nursery. Now that my kid is four years old, so all, all his furniture is Ikea as well. So it's always been around. And I didn't really plan to leave IDEO, to be honest, but then um, a headhunter showed up with the keyword IKEA, and I was like, don't say more, let's talk. Because, uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it's a company that I admire for what it stands for, for their values, and for the yeah the quality of the people that you get a chance to work with there is, is, is very, very rewarding. And, yeah, it allows me to be myself, you know, and, uh, and that's great as well, so. So you said you had lots of furniture before uh, you joined the company, and then like, mm-hmm. all, all the furniture yeah. here they just buy IKEA because it's affordable, yeah. it's quick, and it's, it's right, easy right, right, right. Um, uh, to, to to put in your apartment. Did you have this feeling like hmm, I, I love it, but it can be improved? Yeah, no, of course, of course. Yeah. I think I think everything that surrounds us has the opportunity to be better, mm-hmm. and and everything you know within IKEA right now is is an iteration, right? So everything is an iteration. So nothing is ever finished in a way. Um, actually, our design practice on the physical products is called democratic design and is is a cycle right so once a product is launched despite the fact we think we launched something truly great then there's always an opportunity to refine it Mm -hmm. so we're always revisiting our product range and you can see versions of that like when we rolled out um we we stopped selling a a shelf that was called a calax no sorry expedite which was like super successful for many many years but we rolled it out because uh, we we design a new version of it that is called Calax, which mm-hmm. is compatible with all the different inserts and you know the dimensions are the same, but it uses a little bit less wood. The materials are a bit different. The finishes are different, and we did it so that we could uh, do a lot of things. Of course, the you know that are more sustainable, that are operationally better for us, but that are also more um, affordable for people. Uh, so we're constantly doing that. And when I was buying furniture, I I kept thinking the same. You know, oh, mm-hmm. this could be better. Mm. Oh, this could be a bit different. Um, and I actually have a sofa. It's called Solarham. I bought it like nine years ago, eight years ago maybe. And I still have it. I just change the fabrics every now and then and I changed uh, the legs. But uh, yeah, that's my relationship with IKEA.
that. So it's good. Cool. So you had the digital uh, design experience back yeah. in, in your country, right? Mm. And you work with lots of multinational companies right. globally. And uh, now you're in China for, for, almost, for over a decade. Yeah. Do you see any differences uh, between digital design in China and in the West? If you can maybe sum up in a couple of uh, yeah. uh, lines. Um, that's an interesting question. I haven't been too exposed to the practice of digital design in the West over the last 10 years, so I, it would be unfair to try and be mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. in the West like that. From my observation, I feel like design, digital design in China has been given a lot more power in a way because companies here have developed a more experimental mindset and mm-hmm. the market uh, it, in a way is very fertile for innovation in the sense of like mm-hmm. you know, you're able to launch things that may not, not be hyper polished but you can launch them in the spirit of learning you can launch them as a prototype and that's not only on the digital side but even on the physical side right so i feel like that has given designer the ability to explore new things that in the west came a bit later mm-hmm. for example the designers that had to figure out how to build a payment solution using QR codes, for example. And I'm not talking about just like digital designers, graphics. I'm talking about the entire product team maybe that had to think through things like that. That, I think, is the difference. I think it requires a different uh, mindset, maybe, a more exploratory mindset, um, uh, thinking that is not necessarily constrained by what, what exists, but that explores new avenues. Uh, there was the misconception, well, not misconception, but, but there was... Yeah, I would say the misconception that China would just like copy paste everything that they saw, but on digital it was never that, you know. On digital it was always step ahead. Now is several steps ahead, and and I think that would be the key difference. The attitude towards design is quite different, personally, I believe. Yeah. Apart from um, being busy with your work, being busy with your family, you also run a community. It's mm-hmm. called Beer, Beer Intelligence. Yeah, um, and right. it's been already seven years, so yeah, you're very consistent about it. Yeah, um, but it's not very noisy, right? So you keep yeah. it very private, maybe yeah. to the small group of people. Yeah, uh, tell me more about this. I'm, I'm yeah. curious to know. Of course, yeah. So me and my and my best friend Brandon Owens, he's also based here in Shanghai. You should talk to him. Um, he he's an introvert. And he likes beer, and I'm an extrovert, and I also like beer. So both of us started just, like, meeting small groups of people, uh, you know, once a month maybe or twice a month tops. And we would meet, like, five, six people at the table. And the goal was to meet interesting people because we both, despite, like, big, large networking events where you meet a lot of people you, you never follow up, you don't really make any meaningful connections. So Beer Intelligence is this referral-only or invite-only community we created where uh, only people that have been to an event uh, are invited to bring a friend to the next event. Uh-huh. And we have grown a relatively, I would say small, if that's the word, but like very meaningful, very thoughtful right. community. And we have met a lot of super interesting people through that. Uh, we meet once a month. Uh, we handpick, uh, I don't know, restaurants or bars mostly that are kind of discreet, a bit private, and the group remains small, like 15 people top, so it's introvert friendly, and um, yeah, it's open to everybody, but yeah, it, that's why it's a bit quiet, because it's not like right. events and posters and banners and signs. Like founders like, breakfast. Exactly, exactly, yes, 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 that's right. <laughs> cool, and also, um, whenever you, you talk to people, right, and if they yeah. know you, they say like, Momo is a great public speaker, and it's true because I visited oh, they so that. many events, and so you were speaking about—I um, don't remember—it was the 
self-branding, I think. Back uh, in 2015, yes. it was right. amazing, right? And then I saw Thank you on you. the big stages lots of times, very inspiring. Right. Thank you. Um, do you think public speaking helps you personally um, to, to move in your career? And if yes, then how? And what would be pieces of advice that you can right. give to people who actually want to you know, step up and make it a little bit better? Oh man, I love this question. Uh, well, thank you. I mean, it's, 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 it's nice to hear, to hear that. I, I, I put a lot of effort in becoming better at it. I think it, it's instrumental to my work. Um, my job or my work line would look very different if, if all I can do is to deliver design work and just hand it off to somebody. It's so much different when you're able to tell a story around it, when you're able to describe, you know, the, the present that we are experiencing, the future we could have, the challenges we have to get there, the insight or the hope that is going to get us there, and the prototype that is going to help us validate something. You know, you can very quickly build a, a narrative or, or, or a story to justify, in a way, or to, to help push for something. And I feel public speaking, in a way, is, is just a, maybe a public manifestation of that. Uh, in my day-to-day, -day, um, my job, I feel like, is to help teams to make decisions. And often these decisions uh, need to be uh, pushed a little bit, right, through the right level of inspiration or motivation. And the same things that maybe make me stand on a stage and tell a story to people are is that same spirit shows up when I need to talk to you know, a small group of software engineers or product people or designers or researchers to help them to get there as well, right? I feel like it's very useful for my work. Uh, tips for people that want to get better at it. Um, to be honest, I would start I need, with... I need this. Yeah, to be honest, I would start with improv. So there's a couple of improv groups in Shanghai. Uh, SMAC is the, mm. is, is the most renowned one. Um, I, I sincerely recommend uh, improv to people because it, it gets you out of your comfort zone and it helps you to explore language or expression, I think, in, in very fun, very creative ways. And, and once you feel that, you know, you can then channel that sensation later on. And, and it's very, very helpful as a first step. Uh, there's a couple of uh, speaking coaches as well that are pretty good. Um, for English speaking, um, in, people interested in public speaking English, uh, Larry, Larry Schuster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So th those are good, good places to start, I could say. Uh, what helps the most is to also just watch a lot of public public talks, really TED talks or speeches or slam poetry and whatnot. Those are always good inspiration. Yeah. Thank you. That's that's super helpful. And uh, I didn't mention that one thing that I like on your LinkedIn profile. It's uh, said that um, your LinkedIn tagline, right? Um, mm -hmm. Assembling future at IKEA. <laughs> I think this is this is just so powerful, so simple, but so powerful. Thank you. Um, looking forward to that future. Yeah, I wish me too. you me too. all the best in your next uh, big company's next steps. And um, thank you for all your sharings and insights. Thank it you was, for having uh, me. Lots of learnings from you. Thank you. For yeah, that. it was very fun. Thank you for having me. You're a very good driver, a very <laughs> good interviewer as well. So, yeah, pleasure to do this. Thank you for having me. Thank I'm you. I'm going to look at the camera now. Thank you. That thank was you. in China between meetings with Momo Estrella, head of digital design at IKEA. Please share, like, comment, and see you next time. Bye. Bye.